Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. One of the disadvantages of being a progressive Christian minister is that I get accused very often by other Christians for not believing in this, the Bible. And I tell you what, I wish that I didn't believe and value this book. Because I find in my life that the more I read this, the more it messes things up for me. And it didn't, it didn't happen just like decades ago. It happens continually. I don't know how many times I have read this book from cover to cover. Read it all. Many times. And every single time I find something in it that, that just makes me think a little different. And I realized that if I wanted to stay comfortable in my beliefs, it would be best if I would just not read it anymore. But ever since I was a kid, I've been compelled to read it. I I don't know why, but it just continually pulls me back to want to read this. And it happened again this week. I mean, I thought doing the Beatitudes was going to be fairly easy. I mean, how much can you get messed up when it comes to the Beatitudes? They're just one-liners. That's all it is. And so when I first started reading for this sermon on the Beatitude, the one where it talks about, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or they will be filled, I thought, this is going to be an easy week for me. Because all I have to do is spiritualize that beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's going to be really easy to deal with. All you have to think about is, what is righteousness? And the key idea of righteousness is that which is to be made right. And the other use of that word in the original language has the idea of justice. So I thought I could talk about the idea being that what we're called to be as Christians in this beatitude is to be right with God, to be considered just with God. Then I realized that I was preaching in this congregation, and for some people that may make them uncomfortable. This idea that somehow we need to be made right with God, that somehow we are distanced from God, some of our members are not comfortable with. So I said, well, I could also talk about the idea that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, meaning this sense of being right with oneself, of being aligned with who one is, being true to one's values. And that would be the sense of being hungering and thirsting for being right with oneself. And then I thought, well, should I stop on just the individual level? Nah, not going to do that. I need to expand it. So I took it even further, and I said, not only does it mean to be right with oneself, but it means to be right with other people. 
which means then that, <clears throat> excuse me, I needed to focus upon the idea of justice and righteousness on a larger scale than just the individual level. As we saw in the video just now where it talked about change starts with ourself, I agree with that 100%. In fact, Leo Tolstoy, he says the following. In a quote, he says, In our world, everybody thinks about changing humanity, and nobody thinks of changing her or himself. But if all we do is just change ourselves, how will we see a bigger change in our world? So maybe to hunger and thirst after righteousness also has this idea of righteousness that is willing to exceed just one's own self, and that one becomes concerned and attentive to other people, to what is happening in society, to what is happening to the marginalized, what is happening to people who don't have a voice that is being heard by those in power. And I thought, that's the sermon right there. I'm done. Add a few illustrations to make sure I get my 15 minutes in or 20. And then I made a mistake. I went back to the Bible. And as I opened it up, I went back into Luke. Because Luke also has the Beatitudes. But it doesn't have as many of them. Instead of having eight, it has like three or four. And then it has a bunch of woes. Woe is this, woe is that. But I thought, at least I should look. And so I went there and I looked and I discovered something that created angst within me. It said, blessed are the hungry, for they shall be satisfied. That was it. Blessed are the hungry. Nothing about and thirsting for righteousness. Just blessed are the hungry. And I thought, wow, why, why? Why did the writer of Luke leave out this other part? And then I decided, well, I better find the answer. So I started reading more, and as I read more, I discovered something. That there seems to be really good evidence that the individual who wrote the Gospel of Luke probably was more accurate in saying what the historical Jesus may have actually said while he was here on earth. There seems to be other Gospels that are not a part of our Bible. They have this beatitude in it, and they have ones that parallel that of Luke and not Matthew. So it became clear to me that if Jesus did speak these Beatitudes, that more than likely what he said was closer to what Luke had than Matthew had. So blessed are the hungry. And I thought, ah, oh, man, that messes it all up. There goes my whole spiritualizing, this idea of righteousness and hungering and thirsting for what is right and just for oneself and society, and now i got to start thinking about being hungry. So I begin to do studies on that and read about hunger and its prevalence 
in not only America, but especially throughout the world. And I discovered that 10% of Americans have what is called food insecurity. Some individuals speculate that just here in Arizona, we have 2 million people that have what is called food insecurity, meaning they're not certain where their next meal is going to come from or the food that they do have, they do not believe to be adequate to meet their tr nutritional needs. I thought, man, that's, that's powerful. I could preach on that. And I thought, well, but you can't talk about hunger without talking about poverty. So I googled poverty. What percentage of Americans in 2020 were or fell in the category, socioeconomic category of living in poverty. What I found was in 2020, the number went, grew 1%. So it went from 10.5% of Americans, about 13 million, almost 14, it went up to 1% to 11.5%. And the majority of people think that was because of COVID. So I thought, wow, there's the connection between those that are hungry and those that are poor. And the reason they're poor, I mean, the reason they're hungry is they don't have enough money. And then I thought, wow, I could talk about the SNAP, about how people can get food stamps. And I could talk about the food banks, St. Mary's here, and I could encourage you to donate $800 to St. Mary's Food Bank because if you do, not only will you make you feel good inside that you've done something to help other people, but you will actually be able to write all $800 off on your state taxes. I thought, man, this sermon's starting to come together. In fact, it may actually be better than this spiritualizing it. I should have stopped right there, but I didn't. Sometimes I'm not really smart. And I found an article that just blew my whole second idea of my sermon out of the water. And it says, the headline of the article says, obesity, I mean, hunger is not the problem, obesity is. And I thought, what? People are poor, which means they don't have enough money to buy food. That's why they're hungry. And then I realized that those individuals who are lower income, 39% of them, 39%, or obese. It's like, whoa. Here I was making this link between poverty and hunger, and yet those that are in poverty, 40% of them tend to be obese. What's going on? And I thought, it's because they don't have enough money 
to buy the right kind of food. That's the problem. So, if we would continue the tax relief that we're giving to, to families, if we would continue to give that to them and, and give them free child care that the Democrats want to do, if we did all that, then they would have more money, they'd be able to buy better quality food, and they would not be obese. Okay, so I, I dealt with that. I should have stopped there again. But I decided, well, if the, those in poverty are obese, what about those that aren't in poverty? So I googled the percentage of individuals who are middle class income on the socioeconomic, right in the middle. What percentage of them are obese? Forty-one percent. Two percent more. Two percent more than those who were poor. What in the world is going on? I thought the reason why individuals that are poor were obese was because they didn't have adequate funds to buy good food. I don't know how many times I made that argument to people. And then I realized that people that do have enough money to buy food, that they are about the same percentage of likelihood to be obese as those who are really, really poor. And there was a part of me that wanted to just to blame Americans for being lazy, for not exercising enough. And I should have stopped there. But I kept reading. And I realized that we have a serious problem. Listen to this. Human beings are simply ill-equipped to deal with a landscape of cheap, convenient, calorie-dense foods that have been specifically engineered to be irresistible. The inability to navigate our food environment is as near universal as inabilities get. The people engineering the food that's all around us are doing it with a specific intention to override ordinary human willpower. They've been spending billions of dollars on it, and they are successful. Sugar, salt, and fat. Those three, used well, are what keep us addicted to certain types of food that will lead eventually, if one is not careful, to obesity. People are making millions of dollars 
companies are making millions of dollars by finding the ideal formula to put into our foods that will play either on our desire for sweets, sugar, our desire for salt. And unfortunately, I didn't realize this, and at first it made it sound like really gross, is that we like the taste of fat. There's a thing called the bliss point. And here's how it works. There was an individual they interviewed who's a mathematician. And he took all of his knowledge when he was employed by this food company to figure out what they called the bliss point. And what that means is how much sugar do we need to add to food in order to get to that point where when you eat it, you're going, oh, that's good. And if it's good, guess what? You want more of it. So the likelihood of you going back and buying more of that product goes up. Now they understand that if they go beyond the bliss point, that you're going to probably go, ooh, that's way too sweet. I mean, practice this at home. If you drink coffee and you add sugar to it, just keep adding sugar. And a point will come when you're finally going to go, ooh, no, no. So they understand that they got to get that sweet spot. Did you get the pun? Sweet spot. But anything more than that is going to turn off the customers, but it's also going to cost them more money. So they aim for that point of bliss. And they do it with sugar, they do it with salt, and they do it with fat. And these foods that they are producing that we find on our supermarkets that are placed at eye level so that we're more likely to reach for them, those are the foods that will continue to give us empty calories, and create a perfect storm within our bodies. So, what in the world does this have to do with Beatitudes? And what in the world does it have to do with that painting, Blessed are the Hungry and Thirsty? I'll give you my idea. If we look at the text that Matthew puts out there, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, there was a reason he added those words to it. And I think those need to be considered today, even though they may not have been the original saying. But the original, the writer of Matthew wanted us to catch something. You know, for so long, the church is focused upon the hungry. And we should. Poverty and hunger is a terrible thing to exist in a, in a country that is as wealthy as ours. But you know what? 
There's a group of people that are really happy as long as the Christians just focus on that. That's the food industry. Because they'll keep making their money. They're just doing what our economy demands of us. That we produce products that people will buy more and more of. But if we really want righteousness, if we want a world, if we want a country that is just, do we have a responsibility to think about what these companies, just for the sake of the almighty dollar, are doing to us? Imagine if you would that you had to play a tennis match against Serena Williams. Uh, I know what would happen if I had to play Serena Williams. It would be a very fast game. Now, the question is, is the problem with my forehand? Yes and no. The problem is, I'm playing against Serena Williams. We're living in a world where the food industry is Serena Williams. And our forehand is our willpower. These companies have realized that if they tap into those three basic tastes, sugar, salt, and fat, they're going to keep making money. And my question to myself and to you is that are, are we okay with that? Is that a just practice? In Jesus' time, he was dealing with real hunger because of war and droughts and the infertility of the soil. Lack of food was a reality. Today in the 21st century in the United States of America, it is not a problem. There's plenty of food. The problem is poverty and the way that food is being used to make money at our expense. And do we just ignore it? Would Jesus have talked about, would that have been one of the Beatitudes if Jesus was alive today? Blessed are those who resist the food industry. I don't know, but it sure makes me wonder. Martin Luther King said the following, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. For the sake of the dollar, is this an injustice? And if we just ignore it, 
Is it just one more injustice that we are tolerating as human beings? I don't know the answer. But I do know that before I can find the answer, I have to have awareness. And I think that's really what these Beatitudes were all about, is making us aware of the human condition that we find ourselves in, not only in the first century, but in the 21st century. So now that you are aware, what are you going to do about it? That's a question I have to ask myself. And it's hope, one I hope that you will ask yourself. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.